Welcome to Passion Life Church. Today we continue our series that we are calling The Breaking Point. And this series, it really deals with life when life just doesn't play along. Have you ever had those moments where life just doesn't seem to go the way that you thought it would go? And because of that, that brings pressure, that brings stress. Come on, somebody. And that stress comes and that pressure comes. And here's the question. When that happens, when there is pressure, will you break down or will you breakthrough. See, when you come to a breaking point moment in your life, that's either what's going to happen. You're either going to break through or you're going to break down. And how many of you know that it's God's will that you break through? It's his will that you break through. You know, there's a ton of people in the Bible. We could go through example after example who people who came to a breaking point moment in their life and they broke through. Remember Daniel in the Old Testament. Remember they decreed that he wasn't supposed to pray to God Almighty. You know what? That didn't stop Daniel from praying. Daniel broke through and continued to do the will of God. And because he broke through, even it got him to the lion's den, he still broke through. You remember there was three Hebrew boys. Their name was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were three guys. And the king decreed that all of them, all of the nation would bow down to this idol. Well, when the music played, everybody broke down. But three Hebrew boys didn't break down. They broke through and they refused to bow to an idol. And because of that, they got thrown in the fiery furnace. Man, these were breaking point moments for them that were life-threatening. The pressure was on. And these three Hebrew boys are in the fire. And guess who shows up? God shows up in the fire. And they broke through. And here's the good news. If they can break through, you can break through. And let me say what I said last week. Can I tell you? Daniel didn't have the whole Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't have the whole Bible. They didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them like you do. You have the full word of God and you have the Holy Spirit that is on the inside of you. Do you know that you have more than what they had? They broke through, you can break through. And see, I think that there's a, yeah, come on, you can give the Lord a good round of applause. But I think there's a misconception about Christianity. And I think one of those things is that once you give your life to Christ, that, you know, everything's going to be rosy. Everything's going to be sweet. Can I just be honest with you? The Bible tells us that we will see the waters rise. We will see the fire. You know, Isaiah 43, 2 says this, when you pass through the waters, notice that pass through. That's breakthrough. That you're going to see the waters rise. Look, but I will be with you. And through the rivers, look at this, they shall not overflow you. Listen to these words. When you walk through, come on, somebody say that. Say walk through. 
So breaking point moments are points where you're not going to just stop. You're going to walk through. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be scorched. Can you say a good amen? You know what's interesting about the three Hebrew boys is that they went through the fire, but the Bible says that they did not even smell like smoke. That is breaking through. And last week we talked about Jesus because Jesus came to this breaking point moment. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He's going to start to go through what we know is Good Friday. And how many of you know it was good for, uh, it was, it's good for us, but it wasn't good for him? And he's coming to this breaking point moment. The pressure is starting to be on. He's feeling the weight of what's about to happen. And my Bible tells me that I'm supposed to look to him as an example of what happens in these breaking point moments. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him. So when I'm in a breaking point moment, who am I supposed to consider? Him, I'm supposed to consider him. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. One translation says this, lest you become weary and discouraged in your mind. Why? That's where the battle is. Do you know that the enemy cannot touch your spirit because your spirit is a part of God's divine nature? But here's where the game is played. He plays it in your mind. So listen, the enemy can't take you out. So here's what he's gonna try to do. He's gonna try to wear you out. He's gonna try to wear you out mentally. He's gonna try to break you down. Now, what's interesting is that when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, I looked up that word Gethsemane. That word Gethsemane in the, in the Greek means this because the New Testament was written in Greek. It means this, oil press, a narrow space. So Jesus is in an oil press moment and in a, it feels like everything is encroaching upon him and he's actually sweating blood. Have you ever sweat blood before? I've only sweat blood one time. It was in chemistry class. That was the only time I've ever sweat blood. It was not, I did not like chemistry. No, I've never sweat blood, but it felt like it. But here's what pressure does. Pressure, it comes to you to try to bring you to a narrow space. It tries to get you to feel like there's no other options. And here's the reality. Jesus, in that moment, prayed this prayer. He said, not my will, but your will be done. He went beyond his feelings. He went beyond his emotions. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. And he broke through. And here's what I've entitled today in part two. I've entitled today, what breakthrough people do. What breakthrough people do. Do I look throughout the Bible and I looked at characteristics of some people that broke through. But here's a truth that we need to understand before we look at these truths. 
We need to understand the greater truth about this. And here's the greater truth. The greater truth is that you have the DNA inside of you of an overcomer. Inside of you is the DNA of an overcomer. 1 John 4, 4 says this. You are of God, little children. How many children of God do we have here today? Let me see your hands. You are a child of God. And maybe you're here and you don't know if you're a child of God. You can know today. But listen to what he says. You are of God, little children. You have overcome them because he who is in you is Greater. Let me say it again. Because he who is in you is greater. Let me say it again. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Why do we live like the one that is in the world is greater than the one that is in us? Because the one that is in you is greater. And I love this. Look at John 16, verse 33. It says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. But in the world you may have tribulation. One translation says trouble. But be of good cheer. Take courage because I have overcome the world. That is your God. I looked up that word, overcome, Come on, you can give him a good round of applause. It's funny because the applause builds like there's three. The first applause was like three and it's like more people are getting awake. And like, oh, we're clapping. Okay, we're clapping. We're good. And then the next one, watch, it's just going to be like, Rawr. probably maybe in about 10 minutes or so, people, coffee starts kicking in. Yeah, okay, I'm here. Yeah. You have the DNA of an overcomer. And you need to know this. Here's why. Because in breaking point moments, that's the voice that's inside of you saying, you're going to break through. You're going to break through. Your head is telling you, I don't know, I don't know. Oh, this is so stressful. Oh, this. And inside of your spirit, that overcoming spirit is saying, you're going to make it through. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And your head is going nuts, but your spirit is consistent in saying, you are an overcomer. That's the frustration. That's the frustration. Because which voice are you going to believe? Your head? or your heart and your spirit. Because your spirit is gonna remind you about what God says. Your spirit is gonna remind you, look, you are an overcomer. It's not in your DNA to quit. It's not in your DNA to retreat. That's that overcoming spirit. But your head is saying, oh, look at how big the circumstance is. And your heart and spirit is saying, look at how big God is. No, but look at the circumstance. And your spirit is saying, no, look at Christ. And where you keep your eyes can determine whether you break down or whether you break through. But I'm going to tell you, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you today. And that's the voice that says, you're going to make it. And I, if I were you, I would believe that voice because that's the God that we serve. We serve a God who rose on the third day and he is an overcomer. He just beat he death, hell, and the grave. And that spirit is in you. 
So let's look at what people who break through do. Let me give you four truths. And we're going to just look at some people's lives. Here's the first thing that I found. And not necessarily in any order, but here's the first thing. People who break through, they think big picture. Would you say that with me? Say big picture. You know, since Gethsemane means oil press and means narrow space, when you come to breaking point moments, it is very easy to start thinking small. Why? Because the pressure is on. This is the goal of the pressure. This is the goal of the circumstance. What? To bring you into a narrow space and to start thinking small. That's the goal. And you know what? We start to feel like, oh, I don't have any options. This is it. It may be over. The pressure's telling you, you know what? You're done. You can't do it. But you know what? I got to tell you, you're going to have to get beyond your emotions and look at the truth of God's word. You know, one thing I have found in these moments, do you know that your emotions can really distort reality? Do you know when you're real emotional, you can make the negative things really negative? And when you're emotional, you can make the positive things really positive and totally distort the truth because of your emotions. And in a moment with these temporary emotions, you can make decisions that are long-term with temporary emotions. Do you know that that's why the enemy came to Jesus? Jesus was fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. Come on, some of us can't even make it from breakfast to lunch without a little snack. 40 days and the enemy shows up and here's what he says to Jesus. He says this, he says, why don't you turn that stone in to gluten-free bread? <laughs> How many of you know Satan's all about the gluten and Jesus is going to eat some gluten-free bread? Come on, somebody. Because you know Jesus ain't eating no bread with, with gluten in it. And I say that, I think it's funny because I know some of you are going to come up to me in the, in the lobby and say, Pastor, I really appreciate what you said about Satan and gluten. I really, I really do. You know, that, that really is true. You know, I'm going to invite my friends to this church because this is a gluten-free church. And, you know, I just feel like when we get together, we're just so organic together. And uh, this is like an organic church. And uh, I like that. And so I feel like when I come in here, it's like sprouts and barons and, and uh, it's, it's great, you know. And how many of you know when you are gluten-free, you are free indeed? Amen. Amen. Where did you get that from, Pastor Phil? The CBT translation, the California Bible translation, <laughs> right? We hate gluten in California, right? I see people, like, they're, they're afraid to even see it on the label. They're reading the instructions, and they look, and they see gluten. Gluten! Oh, my God! What happened? Oh, it has gluten in it. Don't touch the label. Okay, okay, we got it. It's like hot potato. Oh, Pastor Phil, I like hot potatoes. I like potatoes. Why? Because they don't have gluten in it. Right? And here's what Jesus knew. He knew that the enemy was trying to make him in a temporary moment when he was hungry and his emotions were flaring 
to compromise in a moment and make an eternal decision with temporary emotions. And here's what the pressure does. It wants to make you start to think, listen to this, my church family, that right now, that this moment is all that you have. It's all about this moment. The narrow space, my church family, is not the whole picture. You need to think big picture. Jesus knew if I do this, I'm going to sacrifice what I came for. It's not just about this moment. Look how Paul summarizes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says this, he says, for our light afflictions. You know that word in the Greek affliction means pressure. For our light pressure. You look at Paul's life and everything that he went through. Excuse me. He was beaten with rods. Man, he was uh, beaten with sticks. He was in a shipwreck. I mean, he was bitten by a snake. And here's what he says. This light affliction, the pressure was light, but is for but a what? Moment. For a moment. He says, but it's for a moment, but it worketh for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. In other words, when you break through, it's going to be so much better when the breakthrough happens. But we just tend to think about this moment. And in breaking point moments, listen, you got to change your perspective because the enemy wants you to think narrow and small. You know, when we first started the church and uh, Val and I, we, uh, you know, it was tough. We planted the church, didn't know anybody in the city. And our first year, year and a half, it was, it was pretty tough. But see, I knew what I'm talking to you about. So, because the enemy wants you to think just this moment. The enemy wants you to think narrow. He wants you to think small. So, you know what we would do is that we would go with different our, with our friends, with realtors, people that we knew, and we would go look at church buildings. And we, we had, I don't know, maybe 30 people showing up total in the first year. And, and it was like, man, it was really, really small. But you know what? I didn't think small in the small place. Because you know what? Small produces small. So you know what we had to do? I would go look at church buildings. Pastor Phil, wouldn't that get you depressed? No, it'd get me inspired. And I would look at something that's bigger. I'd have to get my, a new vision of, whoa. You know, uh, about five years ago before we moved here, we had a beautiful house in Texas. It was probably almost 3,000 square feet. And we paid $170,000. Come on, I knew that would make some of you mad. And we sold it and we got here and we've been living in an apartment for almost five years. But you know what? We know that we have to think big picture because you can live in an apartment for five years and think that life is just apartment life. There's more to life than just apartment life. There's more to life than what you're seeing right now. So what we would do in this five years, and we love it, we would go to open houses and really expand ones. You know why you say, oh, Pastor Phil, don't you get depressed? No, I get inspired because you got to get out of your little space and you got to see that there's a world beyond where you are right now. Here's why. Because not everybody's breaking down. 
There are people who are breaking through. And you know what? If they're breaking through, it's easy for us to be in our little apartment and go, this is all life is about. No, there's people who are buying houses. There are people who are doing well. And if they can do it, you can do it. Come on, somebody. Come on, you can give the Lord a good round of applause. But the pressure causes you to think small. I would hang out. I have about five pastor friends and all of them at that time were reaching more people than we were. And I would get together and they would talk about strategy. They would talk about what they're doing. And man, it was exciting. You know why? Because if you hang out with people that are just in your same situation, you're going to continue to think small. That's why you have to hang out with people who are breaking through. If all of your friends are broke, Poverty produces poverty. But if you'll get around some people who intimidate you every once in a while because they're making it, because they're doing it, that should inspire you to think big in a small place. That's how you break through. That's how you break through. You got to think bigger. When things get tight, you need to know, hey, this isn't the only picture. This narrow space is not the whole thing. Jesus kept his eyes on the big picture in Gethsemane. The Bible says that he, it was the joy that was set before him. The joy of what? Salvation. See, he was sweating blood and he wasn't just thinking about, oh, this is so gross. I'm sweating blood. He was thinking about, it isn't just about this moment. There's a bigger picture here that's going on. And I want to tell you, my church family, there's a bigger picture in your life. It's not just about this moment. You may be in a breaking point moment, but God and you will break through. Where do you have your eyes? We need to think big picture because the circumstances want you to think small. Here's another thing that breakthrough, what breakthrough people do is number two, they prioritize big things. See, in the oil press, when the pressure's on, it's so easy to become distracted by insignificant little things. You know, I think about Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Man, if you never read the book of Nehemiah, you need to read it. It's a fascinating book. He was rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. The walls had laid in ruins. And you know what's interesting is that he was working for a king, but he saw a need and he thought, you know what, I want to meet that need. And he asked the king and the king gave him permission. And Nehemiah took it upon himself and he went to rebuild the walls. He went to make people's lives better. He felt, look, it's my destiny. I have a purpose in my life. And the purpose is I'm going to build these walls. But how many of you know when you set out to do something for God, there's always resistance. And in this case, there were three people. There were three people, Sambalot, Tobias, and Gisem. And they wanted to stop this wall from being built. You know what tactics they used? Just like we talked about last week in part one, they used fear and confusion. Fear and confusion. And here's what they wanted. They wanted Nehemiah to come off the wall to come down to meet with them. You know, what's interesting is that Sanballat actually didn't want the walls to be rebuilt because they wanted the enemies of, of Jerusalem to attack and win. But he also had a financial stake 
in Jerusalem being ruined. It was going to hurt his pocketbook, his uh, financial situation if those walls were being rebuilt. And I just say that because, listen, you may have great motives. You may have a great idea of what you have that God wants you to do. But there are people who have ulterior motives. And they did not want to see Nehemiah build the wall. And Nehemiah's on the wall and they start sending him letters. Hey, why don't you come meet with us? And four times Nehemiah writes back in these letters. Listen to what he says. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 3. Nehemiah He says, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work. Everybody say that, say great work. I am engaged in a great work. So I can't come. Why should I stop working to come down and meet with you? See, Sambalot and his pals started putting pressure and fear and Nehemiah is coming to a breaking point moment. But here's what Nehemiah did. He kept his eyes on the great work that God had for him. And in breaking point moments, it's very easy to get distracted by silly little things. People are always going to try to pull you down. And if the enemy can stop you and break you down, he can stop you from doing a great work. He can stop you from doing a great work. You know what's interesting is that they sent four letters to Nehemiah and Nehemiah sent four letters back saying the same thing. I am about a great work. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you believe your life is a great work? Because God says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. When God looks at you, he sees a masterpiece. I know that's maybe not what you see when you look in the mirror, but God says that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. And let me tell you, not only does he think you're a great work, he also thinks that you're so valuable that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. So God has invested in you. You are a great work from God. But you know what? God has also given you a purpose and a destiny. You have a great work to do. You have a great work to do. We're not just here on the planet to just suck up air. The Bible says that God even knew you and formed you before you came into the earth. And he had a plan and a purpose for your life. My church family, you're not here by accident. You're here because you are a great work and God wants you to do a great work. But you know what? Breaking point moments are going to try to pull you aside. And see, this is what breakthrough people do. They prioritize big things. You know, I love Nehemiah's attitude. He knew, look, I'm building something with my life. Hey, I'm going places. And these people are trying to distract me. They're trying to distract me. I love, I don't know if you've ever read the message translation of the Bible. It's kind of like a a Bible paraphrase. I like it because it's just simple English. And in the message, listen to what Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says in the message Bible. I love it. It says this about keeping focus. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all the sideshow 
distractions. Watch your step and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look, neither right or left, leave evil in the dust. How many of you know there's a lot of sideshow distractions going on in life? And it wants to bring you down from the great work that God has for you. This is what I love. If you read in Nehemiah, I think it's 6.16, it says this, let me paraphrase. When Nehemiah built the wall, this is phenomenal. Do you know that the wall of Jerusalem laid in ruins for 120 years and Nehemiah built back the wall in 52 days? In 52 days, nobody did nothing about the walls for 120 years. And you know what? Nehemiah says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to rebuild this wall with God's help. And in 52 days, he built the wall. Not only was he building the wall, but he was also protecting Jerusalem at the same time. Building the wall, protecting Jerusalem. Building the wall, protecting Jerusalem. And this is what the Bible says in Nehemiah 6 verse 16. It says that all of Nehemiah's enemies were disheartened because they saw the wall, but they knew that God's glory was there. I love that because when Nehemiah broke through, his enemies got disheartened. And I got to tell you, there are people that don't want to see you break through. But when you do, they're going to see God's miracle power in your life. Come on. That's why... In breaking point moments, you have to prioritize the big things. And I'll say it again because I said it last week. I'm amazed that when people go through breaking point moments, they stop coming to church. They stop asking for prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not prioritizing big things. That is thinking small, thinking about me. But you know what? You need church when you're going through breaking point moments. You need to be around the people of God when you're going through breaking point moments. Can I just tell you a Passion Life Church, there's no shame in our game here. We all make mistakes. We all fail. But that's why we need each other. We need God. And we need to be around the people of God. Make sure you're prioritizing the right thing. And so people who break through, they think big picture and they prioritize big things. Here's number three. See, breakthrough people, they see themselves bigger. They see themselves bigger. Why? Because they see themselves as God sees them. They see themselves as God sees them. You know, David in the Bible, he's probably about 14, maybe 16, when he killed Goliath. It's probably the most famous story outside of the cross that people know. And you know what I love about the story is that Goliath tried to define David. And I, I just think we need to come to a place where we need to stop allowing the giants in our life to define us. And we need to start defining the giants. See, Goliath tried to define David and who he was, but said, David's like, I'm not having it. You are not going to define me. I'm going to define you. You and we, my church family, have to stop allowing circumstances to define our life. Talk with people all the time. Let me give you an illustration. Somebody will talk with me and they'll say, you know, I'm battling di diabetes. I'm a diabetic. I'm a diabetic. 
Okay. So in the big picture of your whole life, that's how you define yourself? Is there more to you than the sickness? Is that your name? Do you want me to give you a name tag? Hello, my name is diabetic. And we laugh, but you know what? People define their lives by a sickness. There's so much more to life than that sickness. And here's what we do. We let that giant of diabetes define our lives. Uh-uh. You need to be like David and say, that's not going to define me. God's word is going to define who I am. And I'm not telling you to deny. I understand. I understand that that may be a real fact. But see, listen, faith does not deny the facts. Faith just doesn't focus on the facts. It focuses on the truth of God. And I love this because David said, I'm going to define the giant. The giant Goliath is just talking all of this smack. As a matter of fact, Goliath even told David, he said, you know what? I am the Philistine champion. He says, look, I am going to kill all of y'all. You know what's funny is that all the Israelites on the side are going, wow, that's, that's a really big giant. That's a really big giant. That's a really big giant. And you know what? David goes before the King Saul and he says, hey, listen, King, don't worry about the giant. I'll take care of it. A 15-year-old boy says, don't even worry about the giants. And the Navy SEALs of the Israel army are out there shaking and they're going, that is a big giant. Look at David. I don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. And here comes David and look what Goliath says to him. He just says, look, hey, David, I'm going to feed you to the birds. What is that? The giant is trying to define David and his life. But David saw himself bigger. David saw himself as God sees him. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. You don't have to turn there. You can just write it down. Look at David's response. This sounds to me like an overcomer. David replied to the Philistines, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have talked smack about. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you. I love that. I love that. He's going to conquer you. I'm going to do it. It's in my hand. Not only will I kill you, I will chop off your head. I'm going to chop off your head. And this is a man with a plan. And then I will give your dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. Listen to this. And the whole world will know. What is he doing? Big picture. It's not just about me. It's not just about me and you, Goliath, here. You got to understand something. There's a big picture here. After I kill you, I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to kill everybody here. But here's the big picture. Everyone's going to know what happened in this breaking point moment that God is going to come through. See, because in breaking point moments, the temptation is to think about me, 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 me. Me, 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 it's all about me. No, there are people watching because they want to see if you can break through. Because if you can break through, it will inspire them to break through. And David's like, look, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, look, here it goes, big picture. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord 
rescues his people. But not with the sword and the spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. All right, are you ready? Can you handle a little bit more truth? This morning as I was just going over my notes, I felt like the Holy Spirit asked me to look up Goliath's name. And I don't know why, but I know when he asked me to do that, I need to do some research. So I looked up Goliath's name. His name means unveil. But then I realized in the Bible, it says this. It says that Goliath is from Gath. Everybody say that with me. Say Gath. I was like, whoa, from Gath. What does Gath mean? So I looked up in the Hebrew. Do you know what Gath means? Oil press. Gath means oil press. Do you know that the Hebrew foundation for the word Gethsemane is Gath? Oil press? David finds himself fighting Goliath and he's from Gath, which means oil press. David finds himself in an oil press himself. And ladies and gentlemen, you know what he does? Everything that I read, he's talking to the giant about his God. Notice what we do sometimes is we talk too much to the giant and we build and magnify the giant. David didn't do that. What David did is he magnified God in the face of the giant because in reality on that day, Goliath was not the giant. God was the giant. And people were looking at Goliath thinking his, he was the giant. Actually, David was looking at God and said, Goliath, you are not the biggest one on this field. God is. And here's what he did. He began to praise God. How? Talking to the giant about his God. What is he doing? He's magnifying God in a moment of a breaking point. And that's why I said this as we got out of worship. We need to know this, that praise precedes victory. Praise precedes victory. Why? Because when you begin to magnify God, here's what happens. You begin to see yourself as God sees you, you begin to see yourself as bigger. It's interesting that Goliath looked down on David, but David didn't let the giant define him. David said, I'm bigger. You know why? Because my God is bigger and he's on my side. Come on, somebody needs to get that this morning. But you need to know that praise precedes victory. Let me read this to you real quick. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1, because this is how God operates. It's talking to a person who's not fruitful, who is not having kids. It says, sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Listen to this. Here's number two, verse two. Enlarge the place of your tent. Think bigger. Be bigger. I know it's a small moment. I know it seems like your life is not fruitful. It, I know the desire of your heart is to have children. But you know what? You're going to have to enlarge the place of your tent. And then he says, and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate 
cities inhabited. Isn't it interesting that he says your, your inheritance? He talks about your descendants and he's talking to a person who's never had kids yet. And he says, in the midst of your breaking point moment, I know your desires to have kids, but here's what you gotta do. You need to start singing before it happens. You need to start praising because praise proceeds the victory. We usually sing when the kid comes. Woo, he's here. Yeah, party. Woo, he's come. We get all excited when we see that. But you know what? God says you need to do that before you actually see it come to pass because your praise precedes the victory. You know what that is, ladies and gentlemen? That's faith. Everything that David said to Goliath, he did. I'm going to kill you, cut off. It's done. The slingshot. Because David knew. Because he saw himself bigger. Why? Because he saw himself as God sees him. And you know what we have to do in these breaking point moments? We have to allow God to stretch us, to enlarge us. That's why we would go look at those houses. That's why we would go look at church buildings. Why? To be bigger, look, expand, because God is gonna do something great in your life. Are you glad you came to church this morning? Here's number four. So people that break through are big in generosity. Big in generosity. See, when you get to a narrow space, there's a temptation to withdraw your generosity. And see, I think even now when I say that, some of us are so narrow-minded, you think I'm only talking about money. I don't have to have money to be generous. Because you know what? I can be generous with my time. I can be generous with my encouragement. I can be generous with my faith. But see, as soon as we say, oh, be generous, be big with your generosity. I know that preacher's talking about money. That's all the church wants is my money. Listen, God doesn't need your money. You need God's blessing on your money. But we think so narrow-minded that, listen, there was a time I didn't have money, but I knew what? I can give my time. I can give a hug. Come on, somebody. Hugs, not drugs. I can give encouragement. You don't have to be stingy with your encouragement just because you don't have money. Amen? I can be generous with my friendship. I may not have a lot of money, but you know what? I can be generous. I love what the message says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. The message Bible says it this way. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. But the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Why is this important in the breaking point moments? Because when you're already in a small world in terms of the pressure is coming on you to make you feel small. So the tendency is be stingy. But your generosity makes your world bigger. So I can be in a small place, but I can make my world bigger by what? Be generous, 
being generous. So I could come out of this little narrow, small space. Why? By being generous. So when the pressure's on and I come to this narrow space, guess what's making my world bigger? It's my generosity. My church family, if you don't like the world you're in, change it. Change it. Change it. Because the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger. And you know what? We can break through. I want to end with this this morning because I think it's important to to know that as we talk about pressure, not all pressure is bad. And there's a promise in the Bible to those of us who overcome. Let's close with this. Revelation chapter 3 verse 12. It says this. It says, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar. Everybody say that. Say a pillar. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and I will write on him my name. Pastor Phil, what do we learn from this? We learn from this that there is a good kind of pressure. This is what God says, for those of us that overcome, he will make a pillar in his house. Do you know that in this moment, in this theater, there are pillars and there are cross beams. And we could not be in this room today without those pillars. Those pillars are handling the stress that enables us to come together as God house. And this is what he says, for those of us that overcome, he's going to make you a pillar in his house. Now, here's what's interesting. As a Christian, we're living life on two levels. We're not just, we're in the house of God right now, right? When we rent this theater, we're in the house of God. But did you know that the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So I'm living life in the house of God, but yet my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when we overcome, here's what happens. God makes us a pillar. Pillars naturally handle pressure. They naturally handle pressure. They absorb it. Pillars are not afraid of the pressure. That's why they're there, is to handle the pressure. And can I encourage you today, we need more pillars in the house of God. We need more people who overcome to be pillars in the house of God. Your kids need you to be a pillar in the house. Our community needs us to be pillars in the house of God. We need people in the body of Christ, more pillars in the body of Christ. Not a little carpet, not a little sheetrock, pillars in the house of God. See, there's good pressure. There's pressure that I welcome. What kind of pressure are you talking about? I love the pressure of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I love that. Bring it on. I want to follow him. Well, Pastor Phil, I, you know, I just don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm moving forward. Have you chosen to follow him? Because the disciples became heroes later, most of them, right? One committed suicide. Thomas got his act together after a while. But you know what? Everything they went through and all the miracles they saw is because they chose to follow him. And see, I want the pressure of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. My church family, I want the pressure of being a good dad.
I want to be a pillar for my family. I want to be a pillar to my wife. I want to be a pillar and I want to have the pressure of being a good leader. The body of Christ needs more pillars. I thank God, my church family, today as we close, that at Passion Life Church, there are people in this church who are pillars in this church. Today, I stand here not because I'm all that in a bag of chips. No, I stand here because you know what? There's people in this room that have been pillars in this church. And I want to encourage you, be a pillar. Be a pillar, not just carpet, not just sheetrock. Say, I'm going to be, I desire to be a pillar in my society, in the house of God, in my family. I can handle the pressure in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. Would you stand with me? Come on, give the Lord a good round of applause for his word. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information on Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com 